This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Natalie, Kevin and Simon's joining us in place of James who is on holiday in America. Um, a 1-0 defeat for Burnley this weekend at home to Arsenal in front of the Sky cameras on Sunday afternoon at Turf Moor. Very, very controversial goal of course but um, rather than go straight into complaining about referees and being really depressing about how we lost we'll start off by talking about how really well Burnley played. Natalie, it was an excellent performance up until the last few very, very disappointing seconds. Yeah, it was a really, really good performance. Um, one of the best ones that we've seen um, in our Premier League history um, over the three seasons that we've been there. Um, I, I just thought they they were so disciplined. They defended incredibly well. and They, they just matched Arsenal on the park in so many areas. And it was just... <sighs> It just felt like they they did they gave everything and that they really deserved to earn a point out of that game and I'm I'm just devastated that they didn't. They just they played so 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 well. Yeah, I think what's the real shame is that we've got a couple of weeks to to stew on it as well. We'd probably like to be playing Tuesday or Wednesday and get straight back out there. Um, it wasn't just the the defensive shape though, was it, Kevin? We created quite a lot considering how under the cosh we were for for large periods. Volks had that header in the first half, probably the best chance of the half and for all Arsenal's possession similar to Liverpool they didn't do that much with it yeah and actually just just quickly to jump back you you mentioned about having about two weeks I think uh, we talked last week about maybe the team being um, kind of galvanised by Gray's ban um, and I think this would be an ideal thing for, for the team to be galvanised by I think they'd be if we were playing on Tuesday the team would be really fired up uh, by this incident um, so it's a shame that we're going into international break on that. But um, yeah, I think considering we're playing Arsenal, who are regarded as a team who can, um, who are the strongest going forward and attacking, we created um, some of the best chances of the game. So I'd certainly say we created more key chances than Arsenal did. Um, I can only really think of the one Sanchez shot that went um, just... Yeah, it's out of post. Wide of yeah. post. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Vox's chance was fantastic. I think it looked um, easier. Um, it was coming over his shoulder. Um, so 
you know, it's, it's an awkward angle to attack from. Uh, he's kind of, kind of coming from behind him, so he's got to keep his eye on the ball, uh, but also get into position to attack the ball. It's very difficult to do. Um, obviously, Keane's header, uh, which hit the crossbar, and I think actually that, that was bouncing in if Czech doesn't then um, hit it away after it's hit the crossbar. So that was uh, an outstanding chance as well. Good, good Munson's header, uh, which is a fantastic header for such a, a quite a, quite a small player. Um, which is so. As, as, in terms of key chances, I think we had at least three, and I can't think of any really time we were really threatened other than um, that that Sanchez shot and obviously the goal. So that's a really big positive because you know you, you talk about there's been a lot of talk about how solid we are, how hard Arsenal fans break us down, and but if you look at that, you could you you could get the impression that we just sat ten players behind the ball. Uh, for the entire game, had no interest in going forward at all. We were just sat back and soaking up as, as much pressure as we could. But it wasn't the case at all. We we gave just as um, just as good as Arsenal did going forward, and probably more. Yeah, I agree. I think we'd have probably taken nil nil. I think that's fair to say. But I don't think we were playing outright for a nil nil. Uh, we talked about defensive shape after the Watford game again. I thought it was absolutely flawless. Arsenal liked to get in behind, so we're obviously going to be quite deep. But we were constantly funneling them out wide because with Sanchez playing up front, they were never going to really threaten in the air. So we sent them out wide. They weren't going to put crosses in and the middle of the pot was so congested there was just no way through for them. Um, Simon, welcome back to the podcast. First of all, what what was your view of the game? Burnley, very impressive, but not the result we were after in the end. No, no. I mean, I think that the the most impressive thing for me was was seeing that you know that was only the third time we've played with with a five man midfield, and how well that worked. You know, I mean, you just highlighted one one important aspect of it: the way it it closed down the centre of the park and forced them to go out wide, where they didn't really uh, cause too many problems with with the crosses they were putting in. But I just thought the shape of the midfield looked uh, spot on, really. You know, I mean, um, you know, the two wide players did an incredible amount of work, as you'd expect. But also, Marnie looks totally at home in that holding role deeper, doesn't he? He, he looked very comfortable there, organised things from there very well. Um, Hendrick covered a lot of ground and was involved and kept things ticking. Before, I don't know if there's been anything come out about, you know, injuries or what but he looked a bit off the pace this time I thought um, I've been being so impressive against uh, Watford and, and then Arfield didn't really do too much coming on to replace him um, but I thought the shape of the team was good the downside of it is obviously that you're only playing with Big Sam up front on his own and uh, and he wasn't as isolated in any way the way that Gray was at Leicester the first time that system that was tried but he was isolated quite a bit of the time and and I thought as the game went on you know that if we were looking to try and sneak one it might have been worth maybe giving Bamford a run out there I know that's something we can get into later but 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 I thought overall the impressive thing was was tactically I thought it was a superb performance from that point of view yeah I think um it's it's tricky because last two games have been very impressive defensively and against Watford I think we did enough in attack, although most of our best opportunities were from set pieces. But if if we do go back to the four four two when Gray's available, do we then lose a bit more defensively? But if we're not scoring enough goals, it's it's gonna be an interesting trade off and Dash is gonna have a decision to make when, when Gray's but, available. 
But mm. we, we, is that any change for? Because I, I, I think even before, even with four four two, before we went to this four five one, we, I, I don't think you could, you could hardly say we, we were creating loads, loads of chances. No, that's true. Um, I think Henry's we, come we into still... the side since then, hasn't he? he seems to get yeah, forward quite we well. We weren't, we weren't scoring goals. We weren't. I mean, Gray's, Gray's kind of two, the last two matches before his, uh, before his ban, we talked about him on the podcast, and essentially he, because he hadn't, he pretty much not touched the ball. Uh, for two whole games, um, and I think the struggle there was that we were. I think actually now we, we with the five man in the midfield, we were actually able to get forward a lot more because we've got that ed- added protection, which means that your the likes of uh, of Hendrick and um, Goodmanson can have a bit more freedom to go forward without that having that responsibility of coming back. Um, obviously, you know that is. You're going to lose something with um, not having two strikers, but it's hard to make a comparison. It's hard to say we've lost an attacking threat when the attacking threat wasn't there to begin with. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, I suppose we better come on to the the big decision at the end of the game, right at the end, practically the last. I was going to say the last kick of the ball, the last kick of the game, but obviously it wasn't um, a kick, which is why it was so controversial. Uh, first of all, Natalie, if we can start with you on time. A few people unhappy because it was a minimum of two added minutes and although the corner was awarded before the two minutes were up, by the time Arsenal took it, the two minutes were gone. Have you any complaints about time or is it other factors involved in the goal that have more enraged you? Well, I've got... I've just got rage about the whole situation. <laughs> I can rage about every single thing. It's a bit. cumulative thing, start. isn't it? That's what yeah. makes it worse. <laughs> we may as well There's start so many with the time. Um, we know full well that the issue is um, it's a minimum of two minutes, and I understand that, and I don't think anybody's disputing the fact that it's the referee's dis- discretion to be able to, to go over there if, if needs be. I question why you would need to go over two minutes because I didn't feel like there were any delays in that um, extra time. There were no substitution. There was no time wasting. And actually, if anything, the game was going far too fast paced for my liking because I was getting terrified that they were going to do exactly what they did and nick a late goal. Um, So I, I question why he had to go over the two minutes anyway. Now, if he awards the if he allows the corner to be taken and that corner is a is one before the two minutes are up, then fair enough. I mean, somebody might need to fact check me on this and I've not seen it again today, but I felt like it was a short corner. So I feel like when they take the corner, once they decide not to just lob it into the box and they decide to try and play it into the box and take a short corner, at that point, the referee should be blowing for time. And I've seen a comment in an article that Arsene Wenger said after the game where he said himself that he was annoyed at the players for choosing a short corner so late in the game because they're very, very vulnerable to the referee just blowing for time and not letting them get the opportunity to put the ball in the box. So, yeah, the, t- the time there are other aggravating factors with this goal that have made me just in a terrible mood all day and hate football forever and hate Premier League. <laughs> I mean, was, the, was, was it six seconds over two minutes for goal? It was like five, six seconds, yeah. So Which it's, it's not like I mean, it was another minute. It's it yeah, is I mean, seconds we talk. You've about. got to remember that. It's, oh, was it's it only not... six seconds? Yeah, it was like literally uh, you five, see, six seconds. Th- actually, that does put a different perspective on it because. All the screenshots that I've seen of this have got 93 minutes on the clock. That's probably because of the um, replays, aren't they? Yeah, it's because the replays. So it, I, I genuinely didn't know that it was so soon after two minutes. And to be honest, 
if it's only six minutes over, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that's as big an issue as we thought we were. Six seconds, I initially yeah. thought, yeah. Uh, yeah, it goes in six seconds after the two minutes. And if you look at, you know, we've had a corner, I think we've had another corner before that. And that, that that's going to be more than six seconds of game out of play. It's, um, it's you've got to remember, it's a minimum of two minutes, not exactly two minutes. And if 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 the game, if the referee wasn't going to add time on when we went ball, went out of ball, for set piece, it's essentially what we could do. We could just win a throw in and just stand there for two minutes. Um, until the until the, the two minutes blows up, that might be a bit exa- exaggeration, but you, you you get the principle. I think if when the ball's going out of play, he's he's, he's going to add at least a few seconds onto it. And yeah, I, I I've got lots of complaints about this, but I think the talk, looking at the stoppage time is is kind of straw clutching a little bit. I'm I'm not sure why we're wasting our time talking about that really because yeah, it's it's the least much, wrong. Much bigger like, issues. Yeah, of all the things wrong with it, it's the least wrong for me. I think um, in terms of time, I just think if it was at the other end and we had a corner and we took it short and the ref blew, we'd be like, what What are you doing? <laughs> we'd be absolutely furious. I've no problems yeah. with the time at all. Um, Simon, after the time though, obviously there's questions over handball and offside. Do you think it's one of those, both of those? Um, I don't think it's offside. I've looked at it a few times. It would have been if the ball comes off Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, obviously there was there, there would have been no one between Kajelsi and, and the goal in that situation, so it would have been offside. But actually looking at the replay, it looks like he hits the ball against his own arm. Yeah. It's hard to tell, isn't uh, it? Outside Chamberlain seemed to it, it be unsure in his interview when he talked to Sky Sports afterwards. Yeah, and I think to be to be fair, like at the risk of being totally reasonable, um, <laughs> I'll have none of that on the podcast. <laughs> but if if, uh, if we're looking at like three or four replays and we're not sure whether it's Oxlade Chamberlain who's hit it or it's Koshelski who's hit it himself. Um, you can maybe give the referee the benefit of the doubt for not being able to see that live. Um, but for me, the handball issue is the big one. Um, it clearly comes, goes into the net off his arm. Um, now, I've had loads of arguments with Americans on Twitter over the years about handball and reminding them it has to be intentional and that the law you know, is directly uh, intentionally handling the ball is the phrase that's in the laws of the game. And um, and you shouldn't be giving handball automatically just because it strikes somebody on the arm if they if it's been entirely involuntary. However, when it's on the goal line in the last second of a game and it goes into the net, and it wasn't going into the net until it hit his arm, I find it really hard not to give that as handball. To be honest, I mean the ball. Yeah, I mean, he's, the he's almost carried it into the net, hasn't he? The way it's sort of looped I don't up. Think he- I don't think it was intentional. So, following the strict letter of the law, no, it's it's not handball. But um, it goes in the net off his arm. I mean, it, it's different decisions and different evaluations and judgments are made depending on where you are in the penalty area, uh, in the field. If you pull somebody's shirt a little bit in the centre of the park, quite often play will carry on. If you do it inside the penalty area, the opponent's going down and it's a penalty and you've got no complaint. So I think it's the same with handball. If it's a decisive thing in a goal, I think it's got to be given as handball. I think the key that's the key thing for me is that it was going well wide. I mean, I mean it strikes his arm 
completely changes direction into the back of the net. And yeah. you, he's also, he's got his arm up in the air. It's it's not like, I mean, I think earlier in the match, um, the ball struck uh, Keane's arm uh, in the area, but that was waved away. It was no, never a penalty because it was just, it was quite a natural position for him. But I, I don't know what his arms are doing so far in the air. I saw one referee saying that he was using his arms for elevation. But again, I don't know why he needed to elevate himself because he, he kicked the ball with his feet. It wasn't like it was, um, he was jumping up for a, for a header or anything. So I'd, I don't think there's any justification for his arms being in the position they are, which for me is the, the big issue. Because I think I was looking at the, uh, the, the rules for handball and it talks about, yeah, it talks about intentional, but it also talks about being in an unnatural position. Um, and that so the, the two things for me. One, it, it completely changes direction, and it, it goes it goes in because it hit his arm. It, it's not like it's just struck his arm on the way in. It struck his arm and then gone in because of that. And also, I'm I'm just not convinced that his arms need to be where they are. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think what was what was crucial for me was how vociferously the Burnley players protested, immediately shouting for handball, and you don't see that. From play, like fans will shout for handball for anything. Arsenal fans will shout for handball every time it hit any part of the body, but players only seem to do it when it's blatant. And those pretty much all our players in the box shouting for handball. It's so obviously a handball, which naturally makes you wonder how the officials managed not to spot that he carried the ball into the net. It just beggars belief, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean we've had like a full day to re- reflect on this and. And stew on it. Yeah. <laughs> be really Get more up. bitter. And just the position that the referee's in as well is in is in perhaps the best position he can be to be able to see that and to be able to give it. And I just I think he's bottled it. I really do. I think he's just not had the. It's such a massive goal for. Oh, I hate I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm being all um what's the word I'm looking for? Um conspiracy it's diffi- Yeah, theory. it's difficult yeah. not to sound like a conspiracy theory. Of course it is. But I just wonder whether just the occasion of it, it's an Arsenal goal, their fans are celebrating, and it's the last kick of the game. And I just think he's bottled it. I think he's just not he's just been too scared to just rule it as an especially if he's had any doubt in his mind as to whether it was a handball or not. He's just just been too scared to give that, and I just I don't accept that that's good enough for a supposedly elite referee in the richest league in the world. Where for us that you know, that is potentially every single point matters for us in the in the Premier League. We scrap for every single point because we just we just need enough to get us survival, and it's just not it's not good enough to lose a side who might desperately need that point, that bonus point at the end of the season, just because he's too scared to stand up and make a decision. Yeah, and just a point shocking. that, a point that none definitely... of us expected. Either. That's that's the most galling thing for me. Exactly. It's not like it was a, a game where a point was, was something that we could expect to get from the game. We were expecting to lose. So to lose, you'd think, oh, we'd be fine with it, but we'd pretty much drawn the game. Yeah, but they all add up as well. I mean... We threw points away in the, in the dying seconds against Hull. Now, that was nobody's fault but our own. Um, but then you add another point onto that, and suddenly we're justifiably three points further behind where we could have been. We could have been sat here on 10 points now, which is more than we've ever had in any of our Premier League seasons at this stage. And we've only narrowly gone down in terms of points. So it just... 
it just it really annoys me that that decisions like that are not given more importance when Premier League survival and a lot of money is potentially at stake for us. It's definitely a huge decision, isn't it? And, and you, you, you can, I think, there's certainly an argument for him for him bottling it. And if you think about it, it's almost if you if you miss a decision, uh, if you miss something like that, and say, okay, I just didn't see the handball, you're going to get a bit of stick for it. But then if you think you've seen it, but it didn't, if you give the, if you disallow it, but it didn't actually happen, that's 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 going to be a, a, a going to be have a, a huge backlash against it, probably even bigger, even bigger. So it's certainly a, a big decision to to make to disallow it. Um, and yeah, I can imagine that if he's got that couple of percent doubt about it, he's going to go with uh, give him a goal. Yeah, again, difficult. I was about to say, yeah, um, again, without getting into the realms of conspiracy theories, weirdly, same referee that did our game at Brighton last season when he disallowed a perfectly fine Michael King goal. So he obviously had no doubt about that one, even though there's nothing wrong with it. But can't see Koscielny handballing it. No, it seems crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, but, no justice this time, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, we didn't have time to go and score another goal, did we? Um, but I, I suppose referees are human. At the end of the day, they're fallible. If they don't see things, they can't give them. They are going to make mistakes. Um, is this just yet another sign, Simon, that we need to give referees more help, whether it's video replays or some other form of assistance to help them get these big decisions right? Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? I mean, I've always been a bit uh, wary of, of, of the video replay stuff for things that aren't just line calls um, because, you know, I get so tired of it watching the NFL over here where every time there's a touchdown, um, they're reviewed and that it, it just creates this bizarre situation in every stadium in the NFL where people celebrate an amazing touchdown and then hang around and wait for two or three minutes for it to be confirmed. They have the um, same with, with rugby, don't they? They brought in the, the yeah. referral system and everyone said, oh, it's not going to have massive delays, but it's the same. Every try now ends up being referred to make sure they've got it right. You know, and so you would have every goal being a, a provisional goal, effectively, wouldn't you? Um, which, you know, spoils the atmosphere in stadiums, and, and but it does mean you'd avoid a situation. Although, in this situation like this, I'm sure if we had two Arsenal fans on now... Um, and some pundits, um, we'd, we'd actually be arguing about was it really handball or was it really offside and all that. We'd still be arguing about it now. So some things you can't resolve with it. I mean, the fact that we couldn't see from the replay straight away who got the touch before the handball, you know, how many times would you have to look at it? So it, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the video replay thing. Beyond, I think it makes perfect sense for crossing the line. Um, but for other stuff, I think there's other ways of helping referees. I mean, if you had... Platini's extra officials behind the goal, one of them would have had a perfect view of that, for example. I think, yeah, I, I, I think to counter some of those points, I think uh, um, you look at sports like tennis where they get um, they get three challenges per, per set. There certainly could be something similar in, in football where so you're yeah. not going to be stopping the game every five minutes. Again, get... that that's four, doesn't it? Because then you get tactical reviews and yeah, but, um, it just ends up slowing the game down. And then you've also, I mean, even, even I think even if it's just, so you know how the 
in the press box, they've got the game, they've got a video of a game, which is, I think it's like five or six seconds behind, so that the radio commentators can talk about the, uh, watch the goal again and, and, and talk about it, even if the fourth official has got that. So you only, he, the fourth you know, six, six, seven seconds behind. If he can then be watching, either, either the fourth official or somebody else who's sat, whose job is to sat there, watch the game a little behind on video. I mean, if, if, he sees something, um, he can he can have flag it, or even watching it at real time. It's just like basically it's just another linesman, but he's just got the advantage of watching it on video. I'm sure there's there's some this. I don't think there's any way you could say there's no way we can get this to work. If you've got yeah another referee sat in the stand with a video, huge video, nice close ups, few different angles, he can watch it in real time or with a slight delay, and then he can just get in touch with the referee, you know, they've all got these headsets on, they've yeah, got the buzzers all, and stuff. Yeah, they're up anyway, so, so that's, that's, the communication's not a problem. But there's, you know, there's definitely some potential problems, like, like Sam has said, but I think I think there's certainly ways around pretty much all of them, and I think on the whole of it, it it can be it can make a difference. And why not why not give it a try? I mean, you could, you could give it a trial in, in like the League Cup, or the FA Cup, or even give it a full season in the Football League or the Premier League. You can, I don't think you can dismiss it without really giving it a go. We've, I don't think, as far as I'm aware, there's been no proper practical implementation of it in football. I think there, and, there are some tests in Holland at the moment, but I don't know right, exactly okay. what sort of system they're using. It is a video replay um, yeah. type deal, but I don't know exactly how they're running it. Yeah, I think it's difficult to dismiss it really without like, yeah, without having those trials. So it'd be interesting to see how how they go. Yeah, I think uh, the concerns that Simon raised are valid, but it's it's getting to the stage where it's like tens of millions of pounds could rest on a decision like this, and it just seems crazy that the technology seems to be there and it's not being used. Like I think the Kashani one on Sunday, it would have been like seconds, wouldn't it? Like. Whether it's arguing over the the offside or the time or whatever, it's it's obvious that he's hit his arm and gone in, and surely then the the disallow it. it doesn't seem to be something that would have led to a, a massive delay. Um, in that case, um, I asked on Twitter early today for, for people to get in touch um, for topics for us to do on the podcast. Uh, a chap called John got in touch and asked about Daisha's decision not to bring off Sam Volks even though he looked, and I quote, completely knackered. Um, <laughs> now, we've done subs plenty on the podcast before, but this specifically, the last couple of games, I think, has been um, interesting that Volks has stayed on when Bamford's been on the bench. We thought Bamford was going to play against Watford. Um, John also says there's a lot of people around him in the James Hargrave stand screaming, <laughs> he says screaming for Dash to pull Volks off because he was so tired. Um, I think the, the obvious counter-argument to this, Natalie, is that his height in the box is crucial for defending set-pieces, but it's a fair point. He did look really tired, and there is a striker on the bench. Yeah. Um, I can see both sides of this argument, to be fair, and it's it's really difficult. Obviously, in hindsight, we're looking at this now and saying, well, what, what Deitch could have done or what the players could have done to just keep that goal. Um, one of the things that we've looked at recently is our losing points, either conceding an equaliser or in the case of, of yesterday, conceding a winning, obviously a losing goal in the dying stages of a game. 
And I just wonder whether or not there is something that Deitch can look at um, generally across the board in that last 10, 15 minutes of a game. Yesterday, there were so many players on that pitch. Understandably, I might add, because they gave absolutely everything. They they were they looked like they were on their knees. They couldn't even walk. And and um, Sam especially really, really struggled. And, and I just... I don't know, to be honest. We've had this debate outside of the podcast as to whether or not we get desperate with substitutions or whether we get too defensive and too negative in the dying stages of the game and make a decision that is just very, very defensive and negative just to try and you know, keep those points on the board. But we're very susceptible in the last 10 minutes of the game, so I think something needs to be done. Whether or not that is a substitution and whether or not... Um, say bringing Bamford on for Vox would have made any difference. Um, at the end of the day, we were we were under pressure for the good ten minutes. The, sorry, the good last ten minutes of the game yesterday, and I don't think that would have changed by bringing the substitutes on. Maybe they could if they'd have broke, and they could have maybe taken it to the corner and fresh pair of legs could have kept it an hour off for a bit. But they faced a relentless Arsenal attack for a good 10, 15 minutes. So I'm not entirely sure whether a fresh pair of legs would have helped that or whether or not actually having Sam in there and, like you say, his height and claiming balls would have been better. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, I, I think it's quite clear that Dash just doesn't see enough from Bamford. He, he clearly doesn't trust him. He doesn't think he's suited to playing up front on his own. There's something that he's stopping him from turning to Bamford. And I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something there because the evidence is, is quite clear that he just doesn't seem to fancy Bamford. But I think in in Sunday's case, Volks just wasn't really giving us anything at that point because he was so knackered. Um, but I think it also highlights the lack of, of depth in the squad. There just aren't that many options. Arfield came on, struggled. For me, he didn't really adapt to the pace of the game. Gave the ball away a couple of times. It's difficult when you come on. It's difficult when you're replacing our best player, but I think he's let us down the last couple of times he's come on. Um, Simon, what's your view on substitutions? <laughs> we haven't had you on for the, the podcast all season, so you might have a, a fresh take on other than us just going, why doesn't he make subs? No, I mean, the, the Vox one stood out a mile even on television uh, yesterday. I mean, Sam looks like he's knackered in the fifth minute of a game, doesn't he? He just has that look about him. He just... He, he never, he doesn't. Exactly yeah, he looks, always looks a bit laboured. Yeah, and he has that sort of pained expression on his face all the way through a game. But yesterday he was completely knackered. With I'd say about twenty minutes to go, um, it looked a really obvious substitution uh, to make. But um, I thought, you know, if he's not, if he's not going to, if he's not going to bring somebody on to add add some extra life to the attack, which I think we needed, because as the second half went on, although it was a very good performance, as we said at the start, as the second half wore on, we did drift further and further back, and it became more and more of a, you know, defensive performance. Um, just needed a bit of freshening up up front, and even if Bamford doesn't lead the line in a classic way like uh, a target man like Sam does. He might have been able to make the odd little run and be picked out by Goodmanson or something. And then Sandwich wasn't making those runs because he was exhausted. So I think um, I think you could have you could have, you could have changed things up up front in defence of Arfield slightly. It is and, and and Dyche. It is really hard in a game played at such a tempo like that to come in and pick it up. It really is, I think, difficult. 
in that in, in in coming on into that situation. Alfield had plenty of time, so he should have been able to to do that yesterday. But I, I do understand sometimes with ten minutes to go why Dyche doesn't change things as much as other coaches, yeah, uh, other managers do. It's a risk, but, uh, isn't it? It's always a risk to to make a change in that situation. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the attacking options as well, I mean, we were talking about the system earlier on. How good would it have been with 20 minutes to go to have been able to bring on Andre Gray? I mean, if that's if we're going to play 4-5-1, we might be in that situation where you're bringing on Gray and then you've got that tremendous pace against a tiring defence. I mean, he could be a real, uh, real asset coming on in that role. I think that's a really good point, is that, Simon? And actually, throughout yesterday's game, I did keep thinking that with suspension aside, that formation would have worked a lot better with Gray up front than, than Sam yesterday. I just don't think we needed a big target man yesterday. Um I think he would have I think he would have done really, really well in that game. Yeah, and the other thing it might do as well, if you do that now and then, and I'm not saying we should drop Sam Volks or anything, but one thing about when you have Gray if you had Gray up there instead of him, is you know, we did overdo at times uh you know Matt Lawton bunging those long balls at Sam's, vaguely towards Sam's head. We did, you know, and we have done a few times this season, overdone the long ball. And I think when you have a striker like Sam, it is tempting to do that. I mean, the difference with Gray is we probably hit the long ball, not at his head, but over the top of their defence opening, he can out-sprint them. So we'll probably still do it anyway. Um, but I, I thought Lawton did that a bit yesterday. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, without sounding like a broken record, it comes down to that that same problem again of the options. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would like Bamford up front by himself, um, particularly in a game like yesterday. I don't think he he offered anything. Probably been a, a negative, um, even maybe. Um, you've got Arfield coming on for Defoe, uh, who was uh, Arfield was was pretty ineffectual at best. I'd say um, some would probably say he was quite poor. Uh, the only other option there was O'Neill, who's shown shown some very good touches, uh, some really good performances, but we, uh, the options just aren't there. Um, and we've got we're back to square one really with centre midfield. We talked about needing an extra man in there before the season, but now if we're going to start playing four five one um, more regularly, we're back to square one again. But we've got no no senior backup of that position of an Arfield who, as much as James. Um, would be saying if he was here today, but he's not. No, a he's not. Midfielder. So we can get away with saying what we want about Scarfield as a central midfielder, namely that he ain't one. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, that's that's probably partly the reason why we still seem to be after Dale Stevens. I think I've said this before on the podcast. I think we still wanted Stevens after getting Hendrick done, probably because Dash saw that Gray's suspension was probably going to happen, and he might need to go to four five one and. Therefore, you need an extra midfielder. You can't play a four-five-one and only have three central midfielders in the squad. It's, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, there's lots and lots of different things we could go at from from this game. I wanted to talk about Good Munson and how much improved he's been in the last couple of games, but um, we're actually going to talk about Michael Keane because I think Michael Keane is just incredible. Um, although he was practically flawless yesterday, if he'd scored, it would have been about as much as you could expect from Michael Keane and I was very very disappointed when he wasn't in the England squad which is maybe a sign of how far England have fallen and how how much Keane has improved this season already um Heaton in the England squad of course and a few other players going away on international duty but 
Natalie, the way Keane started the season, yes, it's still early days and he's not got that much experience at the top level, but it just seems crazy to me that he's not getting in the England squad. I, I do not understand this at all. And especially considering that he's worked with, Southgate's worked with Keane for a couple of years in the under-21 squad. Um, I think I saw somewhere that he did not play, he didn't play him, sorry, in the final um, games before um, he no longer played for the under-21s. I just, <clears throat> if you look at the England squad and you look at some of the players that have brought in there, I, for me, I think Michael Keane is, is a better player than Kale. Um, when you've got players like Jagielka and um, Glenn Johnson getting called up for diff- obviously different positions, but I don't, I just don't understand. I don't understand why England are perfor- underperforming, and they are. We are in a really bad place international football. We've now had the ridiculous scenario where we've lost our so-called saviour manager after just one game. We've got Southgate taking charge, and it's almost like he's, it's almost like he's not up to date with what the current pick of players is. It's like he's looking at who was good um, five years ago and, and like, oh, yeah, OK, well, I think I know something about them. I'll call them up. And it's a bit harsh to criticise Southgate because he's been put in this position very quickly. Yeah, and he obviously doesn't want the job. He's already turned it down once. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and he's, he is, he's been asked to take it for four games, so we can't really expect him to start thinking of the future. He's obviously just there to get us as many points as possible out of these four games. Um, and he maybe just sees he wants to rely on safe pairs of hands and he doesn't want to take a risk on players like um, Keane who aren't yet proven at international level and could be very inexperienced. But... We are slightly biased because we see the world through claret glasses. And, yeah, slightly you know, biased. Slightly biased. <laughs> but I, I would happily, I would happily give give Keane um, a, a call up. I think, I think he's missed a trick there, and especially against the opposition that England are going to be playing, it's a perfect opportunity to try some of these guys out. I felt Gareth Southgate's comments were very strange. Um, basically, he said that he's brought in some of the. Uh, the likes of like Glenn Johnson and some of the more experienced defenders, um, because we lacked experience um, in the Euros, and he said that you need that really sure that you need experienced players. Now, though these these the likes of Cahill, uh, Jagielka, um, Johnson, they're not going to be playing in the in the next World Cup. It's going to be the likes of. Okay, I'm not going to say it's going to be Keane, but it's going to be players like Keane, the, the younger generation. And if you're going to be denying those the, the likes of Keane the, play, the chance to play now uh, and playing the likes of Johnson and Jagielka, then they're going to have no experience. You don't get experience by not playing. So if It's a vicious circle, got, isn't it? Like, exactly. Got to... So we're going to, we're going to, we get to Euros, so we get to the World Cup in two years, and you, you bring in, you're taking potentially taking Michael Keane who might have five or six England caps, um, or you could put him into this team now and take him along to the Euros with, you know, 10, 15, 20 England caps. He's going to be a lot more experienced. Um, I, it's, it's a very strange argument for it. If you're saying that you need experience at tournaments, then work towards the future of having players of experience at tournaments, not for short-term games against a few... Um, teams where, where England are probably going to beat anyway. Yeah, I mean the, the key thing for me is just like 
like Natalie said, at the moment, Keane is, is a better player than, than Gary Cale. Like, anyone who's watched Cale this season for Chelsea, he's stunk the place out a couple of times. He's made horrible goal-costing errors. And Michael Keane hasn't put a foot wrong playing in a much worse team. So it, it doesn't even seem radical or risky for me for that to happen. Um, Kale more than Jigelka. I think Jigelka start the season reasonably well, although he's 34, so it still seems pointless picking him. But yeah, if, like, if Michael Keane's not trusted to play against Malta, when is he ever going to be trusted to get a go? Um, Sam, you've got a bit more distance than us on this with being in America, but Keane for England is a, a bandwagon that seems to be gathering pace. Rio Ferdinand's old team based at Manchester United, very keen for Keane to get a go. That's totally accidental, honest. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I know. I, I mean, I've seen enough of, of of Kale this year to to totally agree with what you just said there, and and um, and, I, and I think he should be in the England squad. I think he should be playing in these games, um, as should Tom Heaton. I mean, he's 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 in better form and a better keeper than uh, than poor old Joe at this stage. Um, but I, I think you know, I mean, there was a ludicrous argument on Sky Sports yesterday, um, and one of it was. Um, that you can't really. They were asking, you know, is Keane really? Is he good enough to Chelsea be signing him? Is he good enough for England? And the argument from from uh, either Carragher or Henry or both of them, I think it was agreeing with each other as they do, um, was saying, well, you can't really judge him because Burnley plays so defensively that he's so well protected by his midfield, so you can't judge how good a defender he is. I thought this was the most bizarre argument. I mean, if that's the case, then put Dean Money in the England team as yeah. well. He was doing the defending. Well, it's such lazy journalism, well, is that? It's it reeks of of people who've not even bothered to learn about the Burnley side. They just don't expect us to be around very often. They don't care about us. They don't even want to learn about our side, and they just come up with absolute rubbish. Because we saw him last season, you know, a number of times, as saying, "Well, you've never seen him really." Put under that kind of exposed one-on-one pressure. I mean, the amount of times he made last-ditch sliding tackles last season and got standing ovations for them was unbelievable. I mean, it's a stupid argument, you know, on a number of levels. And and but of course, it never applies to people who are playing for Manchester City at the top of the Premier League, does it? No, exactly. Uh, they can go whole games know. without having to make a tackle, but that's fine because yeah. they're playing for the big so, clubs. I mean, it, it's nonsense. He should, he should, he should be in the frame. He should be. I mean, I think we've been a bit unlucky. Although you know, it seems like we're in a golden era of Burnley players at international football with the amount of players who go away now. I think a few people have been unlucky. I mean, you know, Arfield and Boyd not really getting much of a look in with Scotland, while Arfield not at all um, is inexplicable to me when you look at some of the players they've picked over the years as well. You know, so. I, Although it feels great to have Tom Eaton involved and Sam Volt scoring in the Euros and Ward playing all the time, you know, I think we could, we could have even it could have even been better actually. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think it just seems so obvious to all Burnley fans that Michael Keane is going to play for England. He's going to play for massive clubs. If I was going to put a number on it, I would say at least fifty caps, like minimum, as long as someone picks him at some point. And they just seem to be delaying for. For no good reason. Like this is the perfect opportunity to have a bit of a clean slate. No one's going to mourn the passing of Gary Cale and Phil Jagielka as England internationals. They've been there and done it and failed. There's no point sticking with these players. They've passed it. They're finished. There's a chance to pick a coming man, very talented young player, highly regarded by pretty much everyone, and they just ignore him. Like it seems baffling to me. But 
obviously. Do we think they're ignoring biased. because of who he plays for? Do we think? I don't still think they've, they've paid Absolutely. enough attention. I don't think they've, they've gone. Oh, Michael Keane's a really good player, but he's at Burnley, so let's ignore him. I just don't think they've watched him well enough. Like it's again to watch yeah. Burnley. You can't not be impressed by Michael Kings. He's a Rolls Royce player. He just cruises through games. He's superb. Well, let's look at one of the best central defenders and best players Burnley have had since the early 70s. Martin Dobson was an absolute class at central defence and in the centre of midfield. And he had five caps for England. I mean, he was ignored, you know, for World Cups. And, you know, it's happened It's happened before when, when we've been at the top that Burnley players don't get the consideration they deserve. You know, some people, they go on and move to another club and they get more caps. I mean, Ralph Coates, you know, is another one. There's, there's a history of this with Burnley. And we're not a club that gets scouted. You know, you look at the amount of caps that players from Crystal Palace have had down the same period of time, and it's astonishing. Yeah, it just seems bizarre to me. I saw one comment, and I've got to round off on this because I could quite happily talk about Michael Keane should be playing for England for probably another 20 minutes. And someone said, like, Southgate even watched him this season. He's watched him play for the under 21s, like, a dozen times, probably. Like, you don't have against him to be fair that might count against him in a sense yeah that possibly the Michael Keane of the under 21s was the man of Michael Keane of the Man United youth team reserves it's true on loan Leicester not getting a chance I mean he, he's changed a lot hasn't he he's grown and improved so much since he came to Burnley he was very raw when he first came he yeah didn't have I mean this I, I think he's improved massively just this season like I, I agree yeah. with the people to an extent that say he wasn't tested that much last season although there were the odd the last gas blocks and tackles when he had to extend himself, he was. But I think positionally he's been the main thing this season. He doesn't seem to be getting caught out at all. And I can't remember him having to make those blocks and tackles. People love yeah. to see Ben Mee throwing himself at the ball and stuff. But normally if you're a defender, you have to do that because you're in the wrong place. So the fact that Keane isn't doing that, to me, is a, is a sign of how he's just positionally absolutely spot on. Does Ben Mee need another few months, do you think, before before Southgate starts looking at him? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Burnley fans would love to see Keane and me playing for England, but I don't think that's <laughs> something that's ever going to happen. <laughs> Certainly not um, while Southgate's in charge by the looks of it. But yeah, we, sh- we should move on to this. So let's leave Keane for England there. I'm sure it'll be something that'll come up again if they continue to ignore him, despite his brilliant form. He says through gritted teeth. And let's move on to Tweet of the Week, so over to Natalie. Tweet of the Week, 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 Tweet of the Week. Indeed. <laughs> Very quiet indeed. <laughs> By the way, someone complained about the jingle last week, which I, I think the jingle's the best part of the podcast. Like... <laughs> Matthew Hall, I believe, shocking. tweeted us. and Absolutely just shocking. We had to scold him because we have been using the jingle for quite some time now, and he came in asking what this new jingle was, so... You've busted yourself by being a terrible listener. So that's your homework, Matt Hall, for the future. You'll still listen to the podcast more. Moving on. So this, this, week's tweet of the week. this week's tweet of the week um, is just a nod back to what we were talking about with the um, last minute goal at Arsenal. And I've chosen this because I think it's an important debate that needs to stay out there. And I think we've talked about 
technology and the use of of um, uh, help for the referees quite a lot of this podcast and I don't think any of us are completely unified in our approach and how we feel about it and I, I've chosen this because I think it's important to keep it out there and, and, and keep the debate raging on and it's from Ryan Robinson who tweets had four people message me that it was definitely handball within seconds of it happening yet we can't get communication to the ref question mark and I think we look at one of the arguments about um, the use of assistance to the referee is the, is the disruption to the game. And I think that's a really valid point that the way that we communicate these days and the way that technology has developed, we can get decisions instantly. And while Simon, I think, made a very good point before about that still um, a subjective element that's going to, to come into play, for most of these, it's getting more and more important now that we can get decisions and we can get decisions right and we can get the assistance we need very quickly. So thank you for that, Ryan. And that wins this week's Tweet of the Week. That's um, our campaign on uh, video technology in football. I'll get some badges set up for next week, maybe we can wear them all. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's obviously a podcast, so nobody will be able to tell that we are wearing badges because it's audio. <laughs> <laughs> Such a downer on everything. Yeah, I've just got to pick holes in things. Um, at this stage of the podcast, we'd normally look ahead to the next game, but since it's two weeks away, um, there's no point really doing that in much detail. We'll round off with um, previews, as always. But we're going to have a special podcast over the international break. Me and Kev have been working on a podcast on the back of the Andre Gray tweets issue. Kev, do you want to give people... A quick breakdown of what they can expect from this podcast that's hopefully going to be online in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yes, so like you said, me and Jamie have been talking to um, quite a few people um, about LGBT and homophobia. I think it's important to say this is not a, a podcast about Andre Gray. Um, it's not about slagging off Andre Gray. It's not about slagging off the club, in fact. Yeah, we don't want to talk um, about whether or not he should have been banned for half an hour because that's been done to death. Uh, and actually, I think the amount of time we spend talking about Gray is actually very minimal anyway. Uh, we're talking very much mostly about the wider issue of uh, of homophobia in football, but also the support for LGBT, uh, LGBT people uh, <laughs> and also representation of, of gay people in football. We've spoken to uh, Stonewall, spoken to to kick it out, um, spoken to Pride in Football, spoken to some some gay Burley fans, um, and just earlier this evening I spoke to um, David Baldwin, uh, who's the Burnley CEO. Yeah, and also and also Neil Hart, who's the head of community at Burnley Football Club, who's that's quite an interesting chat. Um, so yeah, it should be a really interesting piece. I know some of the, some of the discussions we've had uh, so far, what I've been listening to, have been really, really, really interesting. Um, some really, really fascinating insights um, in, into the issue. So hopefully you'll you'll find it as, as interesting as we do. Yeah, and obviously if you don't want to hear more about Andre Gray and LGBT issues in sport, you don't have to listen to it. So please don't get in touch and tell us not to do this because we're going to do it anyway. So save your tweets and messages thank you um just ran, lastly on this week's podcast then i'll get off my soapbox i just want to talk generally about how we think burnley are doing this is quite a natural break a couple of months into the season burnley are out of the relegation zone first and foremost which i'm sure everyone's pleased with but as natalie pointed out earlier simon there's a couple of extra points that we maybe could and should have had a couple against hull one against arsenal 
are you happy overall with how things are going? Yeah, performance-wise, I and mean, I think the team looks stronger. And, and as, as everyone keeps saying, you know, the pundits seem to have accepted this. We are, we are, a, we are a better squad with a better chance of staying up this time than they were we were two years ago. I think that's that's overall the big picture is encouraging. Um, and hopefully we can add some pieces in January that give us a really, really good chance of staying out of that horrible sort of part of the season that that starts around March, where you you know if you if you're stuck in that bottom three, it's it's, it's really really hard to get out of it. Um, you know there are some parts of it that I think you know um, really you look at it now and you look at the Swansea's results since and you think. That wasn't a good start, was it? Really, you know. I mean, you can you can you can take the two points from the whole game, the point from the Arsenal game, but you could also be saying we should really have been good enough to beat Swansea at home. Uh, but that, you know, that was that situation transfer window. The team wasn't ready yet, and all that. But you know, we could have another six points on top of where we are now, really. So I'm pretty optimistic. I am because I think I think what's the what's given me a bit of optimism now is seeing Defoe and Hendrick and Goodmanson really be players who have actually upgraded the team. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think Henrik in particular um, will continue to get better. And Goodmanson, I think, has been outstanding the last two home yeah. games. I think he's going to keep offering more. Um, Defoe, I think, just hit the ground running and will just continue to put in those performances. But I think we will see more from Henrik and Goodmanson. And there's the two loans to think about as well. Bamford and Flanagan, they haven't had a look in yet, but at some point we're going to need them. And they might bring something extra to the team as well. Um, if I can be a, a Debbie Downer on the podcast again, um, seven points from seven games sounds all right. We'll keep us up probably if we did it for the whole season. But five of those seven games have been at home and we've only scored five goals, which is the joint worst in the league. Creatively, Natalie, you still need a little bit of work. We talk about like chances like the Volks header from... Matt Lawson's cross against Arsenal, but if that's the best chance we're creating in a game, there's still got to be work to do there. Completely. Um, you just highlighted the two points that I was going to make, so I think we are in complete agreement with this. Overall, I'm very, very pleased with where we are. I think we are a better side than we have been the previous campaigns. I think we look stronger, we look more composed, and we look like a team that's playing with the confidence that they're going to stay up. I said when I was watching the game last night, about halfway through the second half, um, to the guys who sit around me, this does not look like a side that's going to go down. We look like a side that's going to stay up. And I I was quite interested to see, um, sorry, to listen to Michael Keane's interview this week um, when they were saying, oh, you know, is survival just the main um, aim for this season? And he straight away said, no, um, you know, we've got belief in our squad that we can do much better than that and that's what we're aiming for and it's nice to see that positivity um, exactly what you just said Jamie the two things that I'm predominantly concerned about are number one our away form um, we look very very weak away from home and we are shipping we've played two good sides though Chelsea and Leicester we have so. yes we have I mean time will tell uh, but I, I do think that is a vulnerable area that he's looking at and number two is we don't have a lot of goals in our side. And ultimately, they have been that's been one of the problems that's seen as relegated the last two campaigns that we've been in this division. Um, I expect that with when Gray comes back into the side with the new look midfield and the much more positive chances that they are creating, I expect us to improve that area. Um, 
but yeah, absolutely. We need we need to be a little bit more clinical in front of goal. I think Sam, when he looks back on the chances he missed yesterday, will should probably be a little bit disappointed that he didn't do better. But we've got a long way to go. So I think overall, I'm pleased, subject to us keeping an eye on a couple of things that we've got room for improvement. Yeah, I agree. I think overall, we do look like we we're certainly competitive at home, away, you're right, it's not been good enough so far, but the two games you'd probably expect us to lose anyway, so I'm not that concerned about that. Um, I do think we've got some tough games coming up. A couple of teams below us in the league, West Ham and Stoke, I think we'll get out of it quite quickly, so then we're getting towards like being right on the borderline and trying to keep three teams below us. I think it's going to be tight, but at the moment I've seen enough to suggest that we're going to give it a really good go, which is more than we've done. The last two times, so um, that should be better already. Um, Kevin, lastly then, Swansea have fired the starting gun on firing managers Francesco Guidolin, gone, replaced by uh, Bob Bradley, the American coach. We're going to see a lot of that over the next few months, but I suppose one of the things that counts in Burnley's favour is that we're guaranteed not to sack Sean Dyche, and he's very unlikely to go anywhere else, so we're going to have that stability that we've had for the last couple of years. That's going to give us a real plus over teams like Sunderland who are definitely going to sack their manager at some point because they do it every season uh, yes um, obviously consistency is uh, a huge part of of who who we are under um, under Sean Dyche um, and it, yeah it, it can definitely be be a, a really a really big thing for us um, uh, but on the flip side um there's been quite a few occasions where teams have, have changed their manager, having been terrible, uh, and then had a huge upturn in fortunes. It's usually Sunderland who uh, set their manager every year and then uh, managed to have a, a decent end of the season and then um, go rubbish again. Uh, but there was, always, there was always that risk. Um, and you, so you get to a stage where you, you can be looking comfortably at the table, uh, but it only needs a couple of teams to change their manager, have that upturn in fortunes, uh, and it pushes us back down into the um, into into the relegation fight if if we're not in that already. Um, so the consistency is good. Consistency is good for us, but that lack of consistency can also um, for other teams can also uh, impact us in a negative way. Yeah, it can go either way. The, the second manager saying, I think clubs do it because it's one of the few things they feel like they've got control over that can make a big difference either way. Um, but it depends what managers are out there as well. If if Tony Pulis was suddenly out of work, I think there would be teams then looking at him going, we could bin this guy, get Tony Pulis, pretty much guaranteed to stay up. Um, and obviously Allardyce is on the market now as well, so that's certainly one to keep an eye on. Um, just briefly, we will look ahead to Southampton. I'm conscious of time because it's been quite a long podcast already. Um, but Natalie, this is a game where we see some old faces. that We got to see the likes of Jay Rodriguez, Charlie Austin... Jack Cork, um, but hopefully they have stinkers at St. Mary St. Mary's in a couple of weeks' time. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Three on goals, please, one each. That'd be I know. I always find it quite interesting to when we play sides like Southampton because they are surely a model um, from a team perspective anyway. Obviously, there's, diff- there's different business arguments off the pitch, but Southampton have established themselves in quite a short space of time as being not just a competent um, Premier League side, but one that should that are trying to 
push for European football. And they've shown that it is possible to do that. So I always look at those sides and think that could be us. You know, if we can just get one one season where we have back-to-back Premier League campaigns, we manage to stay up. I, you know, I really can see us pushing on and, and becoming a team like Southampton and really following the model that they've set. Um, I don't think it's a game that we're destined to lose. Well, actually, do I think that? It's one of those games, isn't it, where if we get absolutely thumped 5 or 6 nil, you go, well, yeah, obviously that was going to happen. But actually, if we went there and won, I also wouldn't be surprised. But I think it, I think it's quite a good game to have as a tester of just how much we have learned from the opening stages of this campaign and whether or not we have got enough in our tank to survive. Yeah, I think we'll be a lot better than we were at Leicester in the last away game, which was the tester for the 4-5-1 with Great up front. We know that it works better um, with Volts. I'm just looking at their results recently now and I really wish I hadn't. They haven't conceded a goal in six games. <laughs> oh, God. So, any, anyone looking forward to a nice long trip to Southampton? They've kept six clean sheets in a row, so... Uh, That'll be yeah. the game that we suddenly find our goal in feet yeah, and score. we'll probably win that one for now. <laughs> Um, Simon, what are you expecting from this game? It's it's a tough one on paper, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. We'd be happy with a point there, I think, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think so. I think most people take any point away from home is going to be a good result this season. Yeah, I think you know. I mean, it'd be it'd be interesting to see, you know, if he does stick with this this way of playing. I mean, I think he probably will do, won't he? I mean, how many games Gray's missed two now, hasn't he? So he's got another two to go. Um, so you know he's, he's probably going to play pretty much the same lineup, um, and I would expect us to play pretty similar. I mean, there's not going to be a huge difference between the way we play home and away, is there? I mean, that's one of the interesting no, exactly. things. We're still going to sit quite deep. We played like an away team yesterday, really, didn't we? You know, it was a very good. Uh, you know, we, it's not like we went out and attacked them like you would at home. So you know, probably going to be a pretty similar display, I think. Yeah, I think um, one of the problems is that if we play Volks up front as the one, it means there isn't a lot of pace and trying to get out, it might be tricky. But if the midfield can give him enough support, I don't think there's any reason why we can't um, get a good result. Neil <laughs> Nil might be the best we can hope for, looking at how well Southampton have been playing. Um, Kevin, any thoughts from you lastly then? And give us a prediction for this one and we will wrap up what has been a marathon podcast. Uh, yeah, I think it's strange really that I, I felt more confident um, going into uh, the Arsenal game than I do heading into this one. Um, yeah, like like Simon said, any a nil draw, a nil nil draw, any draw, a point from this would be a, a very good result. Um, it's not beyond us to win it, but um, I, I I do think a point is probably the the most optimistic I'm going to get. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get today. Honestly, I think we might we might get beat. I don't think it'll be heavy. I mean, we might get a one 0 defeat. Um, but optimistically, I, I think we, we, I'd be very happy with a a score. Be good as well. Yeah, score scoring a goal is always fun. Um, Natalie, yet more criticism of the reverse psychology this week. I know. I'm starting to feel <laughs> a bit taking it personally. Put it that way. I know. Well, it's, it's not working, is it? <laughs> it's, it's Natalie, like did you um? Did did you did you by any chance as soon as it went on on ninety two minutes say right we've done that now we've got it and then 
Did you have a, a sweet no, draft? I was hiding in my hood and my hoodie. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd literally just buried in my hood and going, I know, I just can't watch. But I did go in Turnstile 28. I think we might have to be in that one and go back to 27. Um, <laughs> well, listen, I'm not <laughs> I'm not listening to the haters this week. If you don't like reverse psychology, then I don't care. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> very I'm, aggressive I'm towards our listeners. <laughs> like, if you don't want to no. listen to it, don't listen to it. <laughs> Stop it, listeners. Don't get on my back. Be nice to me. I'm, I'm not very well. <laughs> um, I daren't drop it because you, I just don't. So I'm going to give it one more week because I think it didn't work this week because it was always going to be very difficult to get a result against a side like Arsenal. But the next side, you know, it's a game that we could get a point from. So I'm going to try this one more time and let's see if it works. So, so have you got a bad feeling about this? I've got a very bad feeling about this game. And I think that we always do badly after an international break, actually. We always, that first game back, we always do poo. So I'm going to... Um, I'm going to put it that Southampton are going to run riot and they're going to win 6-0. I think maybe that's what I did wrong last week. I didn't predict a heavy enough defeat. Yeah, that so must be what it was. was. Yeah, yeah, definitely so that. 6-0 defeat by Southampton. Yes, <laughs> it's going to work. Great. <laughs> I remember one time, was it Stan Turner took the players away like, before we had loads of internationals, so like there was training to do. Took the players away for a mini break and then we got beat like 4-0 at Coventry or something ridiculous <laughs> it was outrage wasn't there about spending all of our money <laughs> yeah, like, on taking them to Mallorca and then they've got it's to have it 4-0 <laughs> yeah exactly um, Simon lastly then brings the voice of reason after this nonsense reverse psychology thing of the scoreline thrown hey. off the podcast <laughs> scoreline prediction yeah please No, no. Excellent. More positivity to round off the podcast. Uh, that's it for this week's show then. As uh, Kev mentioned earlier, it'll be a slightly different podcast next week talking about homophobia in football and LGBT issues in sport. So please do tune in for that. We've put a lot of work into it and we're hopeful it's going to be a very good final product when it is finished. If you don't have any feedback, comments, questions, etc., please do get in touch. You can do the Email address is podcast at nonanever.net. You can also tweet us at nonanever.net. And we are still seeking a sponsor, so if you are interested, if your company is interested, please get in touch through the same channels. Thanks to Rick, who provides the artwork for the podcast, which you can see on social media or via the website. Rick does a great job and has made the podcast much better, in my opinion. Thanks to Simon, Natalie and Kevin for joining me this week. And we'll be back next week with a special podcast. But I've been Jamie Smith and this is goodbye. Um, thanks for coming on anyway. I know it was short notice. Yeah, James... Simon, you were a great yeah. guest. Ironically, um, James is in America, which made me think of you. I was like, hmm, James is going to be in America. Oh, we could get Simon on. He's in America. So... <laughs> I, before I say this, did Leicester sack their manager when they stayed when they just stayed no. up? No. No. Okay, I'm not going to say that then. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I started to say, it, I thought that's not right. Yeah, that's Pearson, not right. Pearson, was, no, it, it stuck it with summer, Pearson even it after the ostrich in the summer. Yeah. You are right though. Somebody did do it in that season, and they ended up staying up. Was it? Was it not Summerland with Advocate? It was, was Palace. That... It was Palace, and oh, it yeah. was. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to rewind and say yeah. and <laughs> get it right. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. It's a good job you're editing, Kev. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin.
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I know. I, I mean, I've seen enough of it. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.